I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with New Radio Media and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact the show and Angel lets you through the phone, you can dial 844-999-9249 or you can email us at Let's Talk Torah, no apostrophes, Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com. I hope everyone had a wonderful Hanukkah, back from visiting with family, uh, my wife's family, my mother, grandchildren, nieces, nephews. Really, really a beautiful time. We're all in New York and the East Coast. I know last week everybody enjoyed their donuts, and I discovered um, there's a coffee shop. They actually have more than one now in Muncie, and, you know, you go up by a donut, a dollar, a dollar fifty, two dollars. So I walk into this coffee shop. My wife wanted one of these, I don't know, mocha, latte, ice cream. I don't know, but it's very good. And they have this box of donuts for $6.50 a donut. And I said, I got to buy one. What is a $6.50 donut? It was actually very good. I didn't eat the whole thing. I shared it. My wife, me, some of the kids. Um, It was actually very good. Uh, just an enjoyable Hanukkah. We all had a good time. Hopefully everyone enjoyed family, friends, whatever they had to do. And uh, But now we're back. And after the cold weather, it's not winter yet, but uh, actually a very comfortable, balmy day outside. I unzip my jacket. 40 degrees is better than 20, at least for now, unless you're my son living in Florida. And then, of course, anything under 75 is cold. But in any case, um, we have a whole show ready for today. Um, we have a special guest. His name is David Listis. We're going to find out all about him. He's a musician, a composer. Um, he has a special tribute song, a music video, which we'll play leading into our first break. So that'll be uh, in a couple minutes from now. He's also a psychologist. I think the psychologist is how he makes his money, and uh, the music is how he enjoys life. But in any case, we'll talk about that. we got to talk about this week's story portion, of course. We have Joseph will reveal himself to his brothers. All the questions the brothers have had till now will all be answered. Um, we'll also have our segment with Rabbi Jonas and Goldson of Ethical Imperatives in our last segment, and, of course, our letter of the day and our word of the week and all be fantastic. But let's get rolling with this week's story portion because not too much time this week. So we, let's, we really have to back up it to the end of last week's Torah portion. Um, Joseph is making the brothers suffer. We've discussed in the past the main reason Joseph has not revealed himself yet to his brothers is he doesn't trust his brothers. Last time they were sort of on talking terms, they threatened to kill him and sold him down the river. So he's not sure how they'll take to him saying, Hi guys, long time no see. You remember last time you uh, sold me? So the only way for Joseph to find out what will be with the brothers is to test them. How do you test them? Well, Joseph feels, and probably rightly so, that the brothers are jealous of Rachel. Joseph's mother is Rachel. Most of the brothers are from Leah. 
Then there's the maidservants, but the bulk of the family is Leah's children, and then you have Joseph and Benjamin from Rachel. Rachel was Jacob's most beloved wife, and the brothers are jealous. So the question is, have they gotten over their jealousy? So let's see, what will they do when when their backs are up against the wall and Benjamin is about to become a slave? Will they say, good riddance? In which case, Joseph knows they have no care and concern for a child of Rachel, or, um, or they've changed, and they'll fight for Benjamin. That's Joseph's question. So he has to go ahead and test the brothers, and that's what's going on. Now, there's, there's other side issues at hand, which we're going to talk about, and that is that the Torah says clearly, if you kidnap someone and you sell them, so that comes along with a death penalty. The brothers had a right, whatever their calculations were. But if they're wrong, then there's going to be a major punishment. And that punishment will take place with the Jewish people hundreds, thousands of years later. So um, Joseph actually plays God, which I tell my class when I teach this, we don't get to play God. But Joseph plays God. He says, if I make the brothers suffer now, that suffering will be the punishment that they need for uh, selling me, and their future generations won't suffer as much. That's what Joseph is looking to accomplish, and therefore it adds some questions, gives some answers. So now let's get into the story. So the brothers come down with Benjamin to prove that they're not spies. Joseph feeds them. They have a whole meal together. And then on the way out, Joseph goes to his, uh, to his guards, whoever's in charge, and he says, okay, fill up the brothers' sacks with food. I don't want their money put all their money back in the sacks, and he takes his magic cup. He, there's a magic cup there that talks about, again, it was a pretend magic cup. You ever watch some of these magicians on stage and they seem to read people's minds and know stuff? Um, I, again, I don't know all the ins and outs, but one of the things they've done is they have their people in the audience asking, yeah, friendly, meeting people, asking people questions, and then... The, they will, I guess there's a mic in the ear or something, they'll whisper some of this information to the magician, and therefore he can all of a sudden tell you things about you that you never met this person, how could he possibly know this? And the answer is because you told him 10 minutes ago. So Joseph is pretended to use a magic cup to identify each of the brothers. They think it's a special cup, they don't get it. And uh, so Joseph takes, has that magic cup taken and he puts it in Benjamin's sack. Now the brothers are, are off, off to the races. Time to get out of Egypt. The longer we stay, only problems can happen. So the brothers start going. Once they're a little bit out of town, Joseph gives the message to the person in charge of his house, his second-in-command, chase after the brothers, ask them how could they repay um, good with bad. Don't they know that this is my favorite magic cup? How could they steal it? And he chases after them, and the brothers say, we would never do such a thing. We return the money that was put back by mistake. For sure we wouldn't steal. And they check the bags, and sure enough, it's in Benjamin's sack. Now, again, if we went back over the last couple weeks, um, Jacob didn't want Benjamin to go down. And Judah basically gives away his life. He says to Jacob, I'll lose this world and my next world if I don't bring Benjamin back. And now Benjamin is being brought back to Egypt. That means Judah is no longer in control of the situation. 
this is something the brothers can't handle. Like the suffering they're going through trying to figure out what is happening is just beyond their comprehension. They cannot handle what's going on. This Joseph is doing to make them suffer also. There's, a, there's, it's a, there's two reasons here. One, Joseph needs to know will they fight for Benjamin, in which case Joseph can reveal himself, um, and a little bit to punish them so that the, their future generations won't suffer as much. They all go back to Joseph, and this week's Torah portion begins where Judah and Joseph are now meeting, and now they're ready to have it out. Interesting, this fight of Judah and Joseph is really historical. It doesn't just stop here. Um, It's here. It takes place again later in history when the ten tribes break off from Judah. That happens after King David. Then King Solomon. After King Solomon passes away, his son is the next king, and that son is not as good as the father. And the tribes want to split off. So it's actually Judah and Benjamin are one side, and the ten tribes are the other side. Those ten tribes, there's all kinds of stories with them. They disappear. They're, they're taken away. They're exiled. No one knows where they are. People think they're up in the mountains in India and Pakistan and who knows what. No one really knows where they were taken. But the ten tribes is led by Joseph's children. So that's Joseph and Judah is his tribe. And interesting, even though Benjamin is, is Joseph's brother, but we see here in the Torah portion that Judah is the protector of Benjamin. So Benjamin always hangs out with Judah. So anyways, Judah now starts to give a whole sob story. He's a master storyteller, pulling all the emotional strings. And he's explaining to Joseph, our father is old, and this is the only son left from his most beloved wife. And if he doesn't come home, he'll die. And it's terrible. And, and again, Judah by the way, can't really go home because he's already told his father, I lose this world and the next world if I don't bring back Benjamin. So Judah is done. So Judah is telling Joseph, you can't send our brother back. I'll take his place. Anyways, I think it's a setup, but uh, there's nothing I can do. You want a slave? I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm mightier. Let me take over for my brother Benjamin. You'll get the slave you want. My brother goes home to his father and everybody's happy. And Joseph is giving them a really hard time because as, a, as the second point I told you, the longer the brothers suffer, the better off it will be for the Jewish people. And we'll get into this in a, in a few minutes if I have time for it. So finally, Joseph can't handle it anymore. He must tell his brothers. So he makes an announcement. All his guards, all the officers, everybody out except for the brothers which is really life-threatening because you've got these 10 brothers that are ready to kill you because you're not giving back their brother, and they, they smell it. They know there's a setup here. Something is wrong. But Joseph doesn't want to embarrass his brothers. So Joseph has everybody leave the room. Once they leave the room, Joseph says, I am Joseph. And then he says something strange. Is my father still alive? And the brothers are quiet. Silence. Because a few things have now happened. The brothers have been questioning all along, what is going on here? Why are we suffering? Why does this crazy guy want Benjamin to come down? Doesn't he care about our father? And then you find out it's Joseph. He's testing us. He wants to know, can we still love a child of Rachel? And now they've proven that they could, but they're silent. 
and they're silent on the second question, on the second statement, I'm sorry, that Joseph makes. What does he say? Joseph says, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? Now, if I would be standing there on the sidelines, I would have said, Joseph, the brothers have been crying to you all this time about their old father, and he's going to be so sad, and he, he can't lose his last brother, and, and now you're asking, is he alive? Like, hello, weren't you paying attention the whole time? So there's a very famous question. There's a few answers. I'm going to give you the simple answer. Uh, the simple answer is Joseph thought they were lying. They had actually, you look carefully in the verses, they had already said that there's only one child left to Rachel. The other one, which is Joseph, died. It's not true. So Joseph doesn't know, have the brothers been making up stories to protect Benjamin? But maybe Jacob is really not alive. So he says, is Jacob still alive? That's one answer. Um, all right, I have time to give you another answer. Um, another famous answer is that Joseph says, and this is what happens to all of us. We all have things we stand for, and we, and we say this is the most important thing in the world to us. I mean, look at politicians, which we don't talk about. Um, and this is what I stand for, and this is what I believe. And if I can show you that you're a hypocrite, then everything you said is worthless. So Joseph says, you're trying to tell me how much you care about our father, and he'll miss, Joseph, he'll miss Benjamin, and he'll be so sad. Why didn't you think about all this stuff when you sold me? My father didn't cry for the last 22 years. You didn't care about me. So why are you pretending to care so much about Benjamin? My father's still alive. You sold me. I'll take Benjamin, and he'll still survive. Okay, but um, let's move along. So the brother, Joseph has to convince the brothers he's Joseph. Like, how do you know? He speaks to them in Hebrew, and he talks about circumcision, That uh, why the Jewish circumcision is different than the Egyptian circumcision. And he tells them conversations that only he could know that they had when they threw him into the pit. So, um, so what happens is, so it says, Joseph cries on Benjamin's shoulders. And the question is, why are they crying? And there's a famous commentary by the name of Rashi. Rashi says they were crying that the temples would be destroyed. That's what they're crying about now. Don't cry. Cry to your long-lost brother. They're crying about the temples because the temples were destroyed because we didn't play nicely. We weren't nice to each other. There was hatred. So Joseph and Benjamin are crying. This hatred that the, brother have, that the brothers have, that hatred is not going to go away. And that hatred and that infighting is going to be the cause of a lot of destruction throughout history. And therefore, this is the time to cry about it because uh, this is the time that uh, at least now they're friendly. They're on talking terms. And um, that really gets us through one part of the Torah portion. And really, really, what I wanted to do, I wanted to try something different today. My next guest, his name is David Listhouse. He's a composer, musician, and he, he created with a friend from France a beautiful, um, inspirational video um, about a tragedy that took place in Toulouse, France about uh, five or six, six or seven years ago already. And uh, therefore, I want to play that. We're going to play that video first. We're going to go into the break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to the composer and the creator of that video. So I'll be right back and check out this video. French Jewish children murdered 
in France. A teacher, Jonathan Sandler, and two of his young children were killed. A third child also died. Today we had a savage crime in France that gunned down French Jews, among them children. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. It's all right here on NewRadioMedia.com. As a business owner, you're always looking to save money and cut costs where you can. And if you advertise on radio or television, you know it can get pretty pricey. If radio and TV aren't delivering like they promised, and you're looking for a more reasonably priced way to get your message to the masses, I've got an answer for you. New Radio Media. With live streaming and on-demand programming, your message can be seen throughout the day, and you can worry a little less about cutting those costs. For more information, go to newradiomedia.com or call Buzz Van Houten at 248-939-9999. Surfing the internet can be good for your brain, especially if you're getting up there in years. UCLA scientists say that the internet searching helps to stimulate your brain function by triggering centers in your brain that control decision-making and complex reasoning. In a study to be published in the American Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry, the researchers say that using the internet to seek out new information might stimulate the brain enough to sustain brain health and your cognitive ability. Before the computer age, the one activity that was linked to an active mind was solving crossword puzzles. The fact that even simple tasks like searching the internet might enhance your brain circuitry suggests that our brains are really sensitive to mental exercise and actually continue to learn as we grow older. So using an internet search engine such as Google produces the same brain activities as reading, but it also increases activity in areas of your brain that control decision making and complex reasoning. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. Shema Hashem Techinosi Shem Tfilosi 
and we're back. And I hope you took advantage of watching that video. Certainly, you can go watch that music clip online. I'll give you all the details because we're joined by its creator. Our next guest is David Listhaus, a John Hopkins Assistant Professor of Behavioral Health and Clinical Behavior. Oh, a lot of things to read here. And a musician, songwriter, and singer. You watched his video before the break. David, how are you? Hi, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, it's really a pleasure to be on with you. Um, thank God, I'm doing well. How are you? Excellent. Baruch Shem, fantastic. I have to tell you, because we played the video before the break, that way we wouldn't have to spend your, your time uh, while we were watching it. I probably played it about a dozen times in my office. I keep it in the background. So, like, the song is banging around in my head. So, but before we get into why you compose it, how you compose it, what you want to accomplish, um, just take a minute or two and just tell everyone who you are. Um, yeah. Um, so, my name is uh, David Lestes. Um Now a student in uh, clinical mental health counseling at Johns Hopkins uh, University. Also, assistant uh, teaching there um, in... Uh, human growth and development. Um, I'm in my internship year now, uh, doing some clinical work as well as seeing, uh, seeing some clients um, in the field of uh, clinical counseling uh, here down in uh, in Baltimore. Now that's only one. That's I guess that's your day job, but uh, mm -hmm. clearly music is something that's very important to you. How did you get into music? Um, so music, yeah, it's definitely something that's uh, been a, a part of my life since I started learning guitar when I was uh, maybe eight years old. Um, uh, you know, I started uh, playing songs, never really thought that I'd, you know, end up composing anything, really. Um, music really kind of entered into my life um, when I was in Neri Stroll, my yeshiva down here in Baltimore, um, when my good friend Rafal, Rafal Ben, um, who's uh, living now in France, also uh, on his career in music, um, putting out songs, just released actually a new song as well. Um, he actually approached me um, and asked if, if I could compose a song, you know, for, for what had happened in Toulouse. Um, and that was really the, the entry into my whole, um, you know, composition era, I guess you call, you call it. Um, you know, we sat down together and uh, spoke about what had happened in Toulouse. And that's something that people in America really didn't um, know about as much. Yes, I'm gonna uh, let's let's pause for a second. So, David, one second. So, mm -hmm. and they probably still don't know. So, why don't you tell us? They may have watched the clip beforehand. They got a little bit of a picture because that's what your video was doing. Um, what did happen in Toulouse, France, back in March of 2012? Um, you know, it was a terrorist attack. Obviously, a shooter came into the school, shot a one of the uh, rabbis there, and and three children. Um, obviously, you know, just an, an, an act of terrorism, a horrific act of, of, of terrorism, um, and, you know, something which really stunned the community, as, um, especially in re recent events, you know, something that we could, we could relate to as well. Yes, I, I, was, I was, you know, I was thinking about it a lot, and I have my own answers, but I, I figure people get to hear me talk all the time. Um, Unfortunately, in this world, there's a lot of tragedies. And you just look at recent history, things are happening. I mean, here in our schools in town, there's now security guards um, always, and they're actually they're carrying, and there are people carrying even, even in the streets now. They're just so concerned. Um, so there's, again, there's a lot of tragedies in the world. Why did you pick 
on this tragedy to make a a music video? Um, yes. Yeah, so you know, kind of as as I was uh, saying before, I mean, this is something that uh, Rafal uh, Ben, who sings with me on the song, this was this was uh, really you know his idea. This was something that um, him being a French citizen, uh, he lived in, in Paris, um, but still something that was very home to him and 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 had an effect on him. And you realize that nothing was really put out for it. Um, people didn't really know about what had happened, um, and he and he wanted to make it, you know, m- make it make it more public and say like, hey, this is, you know, this is affecting us as as a Jewish people. Um, everyone should know about this. Um, this was back in 2014. We wrote the song that was uh, for the second year site, um, second anniversary of the of the attack. Um, so this was this was really his, you know, his idea. He he kind of you know approached me about it, um, and he asked me like, hey. Like, did you even hear about it at the time? I, I hadn't even heard about, you know, the, the, the attack, um, which kind of hit home for me, too. Like, hey, you know, like, we should, you know, we, we should spread it around. Like, you know, why, as Americans, we only know what's happening sometimes in Israel and in America. Um, what about the rest of the Jews in the world? Well, well said. And, and a very, very good reason, because the truth is, I remember hearing about it. But we all live in our own little bubble, and we do forget sometimes that there's a, a whole wide, wide world. But it also reminds me of something else. Um, on Tisha B'Av, on the 9th of Av, so, uh, so people will sit on the floor and they will read what's called kinos. They're, they're little paragraphs, lots of poetry about different tragedies that have happened over the millennium. So one of the very, very powerful ones is actually with the, you'll know it, most people out there will not know it, but it talks about two children that were captured by the Romans, actually a brother and a sister whose father was the high priest, and the owners of these two children wanted them to get married because if the children were so gorgeous, imagine what their offspring would look like and they'd make money in the sale. And these two children are proud children, and they refuse to touch each other in that dark room at night, and they wake up the next morning, and they, and they see brother sister, and they cry, and they die. So I remember Rabbi Belsky, Rabbi Belsky, when he was talking about that piece of poetry, said, you know, sometimes it's more powerful when it, we talk about a single or a couple individuals because we relate to individuals. We relate to children, a school. When, when it becomes just global and over and over and more and more and more, it's, it's just too big for our brains. And our brains sort of just shut down and we, we move on. So, so I, I appreciate the, the video. I hope people watch it. I have it up on my LinkedIn page, my, my Facebook page, getting lots of views. And uh, I didn't know how to link it from your YouTube page, of course. So you don't know how many are watching for me. But it's, all we want is to get the message out. So, yeah, it happens to be a fantastic song. You know, there's a part of the song in French, which, of course, I don't speak. Not of course, but right. I don't speak. Um, what, uh, just to give us an idea, what was the, the French language that's being used there? What was he trying to say? Yeah, I mean, the, the words are translated as, um, you know, basically we as humans always have, you know, a million questions as to what's going on in the world. We don't understand the big picture. Um, but there is really only one way for us to handle the trauma and the experience that we, you know, that, that we go through, the suffering, you know, of, of our people, and that is to... You know, to to turn to Hashem. I mean, that you know, kind of relates to the um, the words we're saying as well in the song, uh, coming from the the prayer. Uh, you know, referred to as Tachanun. Um, you know, that that uh, request from you know from 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 Hashem to hear our voice and to uh, you know to answer our prayers. Amazing, 
No, it's, it's just, it's, it's very good. It's one of these things you listen and over and over. It's a very powerful type of song. We're going to, I'm going to hold off on your other two songs. We'll try to get to them later if we have time. Um, once we're talking about music. So mm-hmm. music is powerful. I mean, they do say music is spiritual because it affects us. You close your mind, you listen to one song, and you feel fantastic. And you listen to other music, and you feel, I don't know, sometimes you get nervous or angry. I, I mean, music is powerful. Um, and I know that yeah. you're, I know you went with psychotherapy, but, um, but I know you also like to work with children teaching them music. Why do you like to do that? Yeah, um, and and you, you know you you raise you raise really good points, and actually, um, you know, going back to what you said on you know on, on Tish above, um, you know, one of the uh, the saddest uh, you know Megillas that we read, um, that's you know Megillah Eicha, and that you know a lot of the the sadness you know comes comes from that tune, uh, the feeling of the whole day comes from that tune. Um, I think we could relate to you know Anyum Kippur also called you know Kol Nidre, the you know the uh, the powerful uh, tune you know that kind of sends a shudder down down our spines. Um, you know, in, 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 in teaching music and in discussing music, especially from a, uh, you know, clinical sense, uh, music is, as you said, a very a very powerful thing. I mean, research uh, shows, you know, how music can reduce anxiety, pain, better sleep, you know, raise, raise self-awareness. Um, the, you know, the, the beauty of music is that when you're playing music, also even uh, listening to music, it's, music's very structural. Um, it's structural. It's very mathematical. It's, you know, architectural. Um, it exercises the brain. Uh, the brain has a lot of computing to do when, you know, especially when learning to play music. So that, that um, effect that it has on the brain uh, can really help in the development of a, of a child's, uh, you know, resilience of a child's um, ab- ability to, you know, kind of get through life's uh, challenges. All right, so if you knew a way mathematically to go ahead and say this child, for example, is anxious and mm-hmm. we can mathematically... I guess use a computer system. Will mathematically create a song that will work on anxiety. Is is, is that is there such a thing, or it's like hit or miss? No. Well, you you know, the, when when dealing with the uh, psychological aspects of, of our lives, obviously we're as human beings we're a very complex organism. So you know, one 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 string of notes, you know, one song is not going to solve all, all of our problems. Um, but it but it, the you know what what it does do is it does kind of activate. Um, those limbic and paralimbic areas kind of, you know, uh, sends out those euphoric reward responses, um, you know, as, as we say in, in, in our brain, you know, re- releases those uh, dopamine chemicals, releases those, you know, endorphins, um, could block pains, you know, raises our emotions, helps, you know, helps our memory. All those parts of the brain are activated when listening to music. So while it's not the, you know, the key to life and, you know, the answer to all of our uh, pain and anxiety, um, it's definitely an element that can that can help us um, in, ter- in terms of you know, kind of activating our brains and 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 using our you know using our using our minds as a as a tool to to help us against those challenges. Well, that's amazing, especially all those big long words that you use. Now we really believe that you are a uh, <laughs> that you're working towards your um, your psychology degree. Or I'm sure I got all the words wrong in the teaching and the assistant teaching or the other good stuff. But we're getting close to a break. If you could hold through the break, we got to talk about some music you teach to children, maybe why you wrote some of the other songs when we come back. Can you hold through the break for me? Yes, for sure. Thank you so much. Great. When we come back after the break, Dave is going to talk more about music and use more big words that I don't understand. So you're listening to Rabbi Tzion. Let's talk Torah. And we're going to be right back. 
Welcome back to Pop That Culture. Mary, the phone in the Fat Cemetery. It's got a card. Welcome back to the Craig Folly Show. Our votes don't matter. I, and I always disagree. Doing this show, I feel like I get like a little bit of time to chit chat with the man. Yeah. That I fell in love with. Oh. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. Writer, producer, director. How did this whole thing come about for you? The latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. The BG song Staying Alive just might help someone you know stay alive. It's one of those beats you just can't get out of your head once it's there. And it turns out the disco song has 103 beats per minute, which happens to be the perfect number to maintain the rhythm for performing CPR. A study out of Illinois found that doctors and medical students who listened to the song while they were practicing CPR not only performed flawlessly, but they also remembered the technique five weeks later. The keys to CPR are performing the technique aggressively that is pushing hard enough and pushing on the chest fast enough to force the blood to where it needs to go. So when it comes to proper technique, it turns out that compressing the chest to the beat of staying alive really can help the victim stay alive. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. And we're back, joined by David Listhouse. We just talked about his video, his music video. That's not his only music video. You're listening now to some of his music. David, are you still there? Yes, I'm still with you. Good. Sorry if there was some uh, mix-up, if you were still, if we could still hear you or not, but it seems they, they muted the wrong mic. But that's okay. I'm still learning what to do over <laughs> here myself. Um, so you're talking about how we can help children with music. And again, I know that the field, we talked about the field of psychology, if that's our psychotherapy that you're going into, is not really specific to music. But do you use music to help children? Yeah, um, and, and not only specific to, uh, you know, to children, I mean, adolescents and adults as well. Um, you know, in terms of using music as a means of therapy, um, um, in, you know, in, in no way is an expert in the field, but, um, you know, there, there is obviously a, a difference between music therapy and just using music as a tool uh, within, within therapy. Um, you know, for, for, for myself, you know, if I'm using music with, with clients, whether it be children or um, you know, adults, teens, you know, whatever it may be. Um, yeah, you know, that but part of it is using it as a way of, you know, could be relaxation, you know, a way of um, just kind of, re, you know, re, re, reconnecting with uh, yourself. Um, you know, music has the, has the power to change, to change emotion. Music has the power, you know, to change, to, to change your mood. Um, so that's, that, that's really the extent that I use music in um, you know, as a means of a tool for for, for therapy, to, just just to kind of uh, you know cling on to it, to, to an emotion, um, and try to you know try to reconnect. Amazing. Um, in terms of 
and, 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 and mm-hmm. no, go ahead. In terms of in, you know, in terms of uh, you know, teaching it to the children, um, you know, again, I think that the first form music um, again has that element of increasing you know self awareness and, and and mood regulation. All that is you know is very good, and also the uh, you know the 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 uh, exercise that it gives your brain in terms of that you know it being mathematical and all. You don't know, have to you know c- compute. Your brain is kind of computing when you're learning music. Um, aside from that, it's it's it, you know it's a it's a great outlet uh, for kids to kind of you know for kids to turn to. Unfortunately, in today's day and age, we have uh, too many things that children could turn to, which are uh, you know un- unhealthy to say the least. Um, you know for their for their not only mental health but physical health as well. Um, and you know having having music as an outlet, you know to to kind of release the energy that you have into music um, is something which is not only beneficial but can be proactive in terms of you know, in terms of uh, engaging, engaging your brain in, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a productive manner. Cool. Said by a psychotherapist. Pay attention. So, <laughs> anyways, um, I had, I, there's two things I still want to do before I let you go. What, what I'll, I'm not sure my order, but uh, we'll figure it out like this. Um, you wrote two other songs, at least that I know of. Um, yeah. So, if you'd like, you could pick one and tell me why you wrote it. So which one should you pick? I'll have them play it under us for a minute or 30 seconds. Um, well, uh, you know, the Yehi Ratzon, which is the second one I, I did, was actually composed at the same time as Shema Hashem, and it was actually a choice between those two songs um, as to which one we were actually going to use for, for, for the Toulouse uh, tragedy. So that's really why I wrote both of those. Um, you know, we could talk about a little bit the differences between the, you know, my, 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 my three songs. Um, the third, the third one, I co-composed with another friend of mine, um, you know, Lechadodi, just as a means of, of creating more music. Cool. So, was there no? But was there something specific as I try to learn how to talk with music behind me? Um, was there so the Yeratzim was also written in mind um, for the Toulouse tragedy, or or you had another another plan in mind? Yeah, no. So I, I composed two songs at the time that he that he that Rafal uh, Ben approached me and, and asked me if we could do this project together, um, and we just chose Shema Hashem as the one that just seemed like a more powerful song uh, to use uh, for for it. So Yiratzon was was just composed at the same time with with the same intention in mind um, to get that to get that same feeling. Cool. I agree. You made a good choice. I mean, if you're asking oh, me, you. but you didn't have to ask me. You don't need my permission. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave us with with one last question, and uh, let's see what you can tell me. Um, people say you love when they start a conversation. People say something called Jewish music. Mm-hmm. What is Jewish music? Well, uh, you know that's that's. Uh, maybe going to a little bit of a, of a, of a Ashkafic area, but you know, in, in, in talking about music and and you know making a differentiation between Jewish music and and non-Jewish music, um, we know the the Gemara, the Talmud in, in Chagiga, you know, talks about the uh, the story of Acher um, that he lost faith because the Greek music, you know, was not was not forgotten within him. Um, you know, the, the music has a tremendous effect on us, and I, you know, I think I, I think, you know, personally, you know, within in, in moving away from listening to actual chords and listening to the notes that are being played in the music but the words that are being you know that are that that are being sung in the song i mean you know you have um non-jewish folk you know we'll term we'll term it like that non-jewish music out in the world that has uh words you know in there that may may not be so uh, you know appropriate and are being uh you know 
put put into our memories along with these you know with, with these tunes. So you're using the power of music along with these words, um, which could be inappropriate um, and can have an effect on us. Um, one of the things, uh, you know, in talking about Judaism, um, you know, the the whole Torah, right? We have we have the the commandments, and you should write for yourself this song, right? That so the Torah is referred to as as a song. Um, the purpose, you know, for it being as the last commandment is that it should be the Torah should be like a new, like a new Torah, you know, in every generation. Um, I saw, I think, Rabbi uh, Jonathan Sachs, you know, he, he he says he points out, you know, the fact that that that's because it's musical. I mean, the, the whole the whole Torah is, is sung in a way, you know, it's it's supposed to it's supposed to bring out new emotions. Um, the whole way we we lane the the Torah, you know, we we, we lane through the um, the Nevi'im and the Ksuvim, you know, when, when, when we're laying the Torah, all that has that. All that has that tune to it, um, you know, which which affects us. So going going back on on, on the question, you know, that when when you're using music, which is which could be very powerful, very renewing, you know, very uh, you know spiritual, and you know, putting together with words that can be um, inappropriate, uh, you know, for forget about children to listen to, but even adults to listen to, um, you know, that 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 can have an effect on us. Um, and as as the Gemara, as the Talmud relates, you know, that's one of the reasons why uh, Acher lost his faith. I am so happy I asked you that question. That was such a great answer. I got to I got to think about that a lot. I really really appreciate that. If you would like to see um David's music video, I strongly encourage you. It's really very simple. Just go onto Google. You can either type in David Listhaus L I S T H A U S or you could try Raphael Ben or you could try Shema Hashem. Almost any of those will come up. I tried it a few times myself. Find that YouTube video. Watch it. Learn from it. Be inspired. David, thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate it. And we'll be in touch. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Very good. Have a great Shabbos. Okay. Well, that was a great answer. It's the music with the words. He's really right. Because at the end, the, the last commandment says you have to write the Torah. But when it says write the Torah, it actually says write this song, which is an interesting why it picked those words. But it's the, it's the music with the words. They just sink right into your, into your bones. And you can say into your soul also if you like. But it sinks right in. I know there's songs I'm listening to. I walk around my house. They are banging in my head all day long. So that's your choice. You can have good stuff banging around your head or rotten stuff banging around your head. And what do you think is going to happen to you when you have all that kind of music or words or pictures or anything? That's, that becomes you. Fantastic. Okay. We have a few minutes till our break. So many things to talk about in this Torah portion. We left off. Benjamin and Joseph are hugging. Joseph and then the brothers will hug. And Joseph has to spend a lot of time convincing the brothers that he's not mad at them, which pretty much is an impossible task because they know they sold him down the river. So they never fully have confidence that Joseph is okay with it. Joseph says, God wanted it. Um, It had to be this way. No reason for me to be angry at you. But the brothers don't do well with this, as I imagine most of us wouldn't be so believing. Joseph says he wants his father to come down. Um, the brothers go back. They inform Jacob. Um, first, it seems there was a, they had a granddaughter sing. 
to, uh, so it shouldn't be so shocking. Her name was Sarah Bas Usher. And then the brothers come in, and Jacob doesn't want to believe them. As I told my class, like the boy who cried wolf, um, assuming anybody listening to me knows the story of the, yes, and Alana's nodding her head. So clearly even earlier generations do know, I mean younger generations, sorry, um, do know the story of the boy who cried wolf. So Jacob's not ready to believe him. You brought me back his coat saying he was dead. Now you want to tell me he's alive? I'm not so sure. So they, they have a message from Joseph that Joseph remembered the last piece of Torah that Joseph had studied with his father. And, okay, there's signs. He says, wagons. It's really in Hebrew. It's a play on words. So wagon and calf and the Torah commandment had to do with breaking a calf's neck. And he sends them wagons. Okay, but so Jacob is now ready to come down to Egypt. So Jacob comes down. The brothers come down. Interesting enough, Judah sent ahead to make sure that there's a place to study. There's a study hall. There's a school. They're going to we're not moving to a town that has no place to educate our children. You're ever looking for a place to move? The first thing you have to check is, where will my children be educated? If there's nowhere good to educate, this is a bad town. It doesn't matter quality of living and, and crime and all those other good things. If you have nowhere to educate your children, you don't move there. That, that's the lesson of sending Judah ahead. So as I'm fast-forwarding through the Torah portion, so Jacob is here. So Joseph has to bring his father to Pharaoh. I mean, it's only, it's only right. You, you invited my family down. This is the, the leader of our family. So, um, so, he, so Jacob comes in front of Pharaoh. Now, Jacob is 130 years old. He's not a young man. But as I was describing to my class... So Pharaoh asks really a very inappropriate question. He sees Jacob and he says, how old are you? Which, again, you have to imagine yourself. I'm, I talk to third graders in the morning and I say to them, imagine your great aunt or great great aunt comes to visit and you open the door and she's there with a cane and she's a little bent over, a little wrinkly. And you say, whoa, how old are you? You know, so your parents are going to like hide you and apologize for you. Because everybody understands you don't ask somebody, how old are you? It's not appropriate. So interesting enough, so um, the, they, there's two answers. They're both in the same line, but, but Jacob looked really old. And it was Jacob, he suffered. He had his problems with his brother and his father-in-law and his daughter and Joseph. He's had a lot of suffering. And he allowed the suffering to get to him. I know a person prays in my synagogue, the man's in his 70s, had a lot of suffering in life. A lot of, I don't want to go through his tragedies, a lot of terrible suffering. You look at the guy, the brightest, smiliest face, I know he's not a Prozac, uh, he's a happy person. He did suffer, don't, he had suffering, but he didn't allow it to, to change his life. He looks healthy. There are people, unfortunately, when they suffer, they let it just eat away at them. And, and Pharaoh's looking at this guy and says, you just look old. Why did Pharaoh care? Uh, some say the river now is overflowing the banks and he's afraid he's going to die. Others say he just, even if he's old, he never saw somebody that would have looked so old. So in, in, in either case, Pharaoh asks this question and Jacob says, don't worry, he's 130. He says, uh, my father lived 180, my grandfather 175. I had a hard life. 
But that line of complaining and had a hard life, God says, you got everything back you ever could have asked for. And now you're complaining, you're going to die a little younger than the rest of your family. And that gets us just about through the Torah portion, as much as we're going to touch on. When we come back from the break, we're going to be joined by Jonas and Goldson of Ethical Imperatives. And we're going to make sure we do our letter and word of the week. So hold through the break. We're going to be right back. Do you want to see things like this? Well, I mean, technically. Or maybe even something like this. We'll do nothing but destroy your corpses and burn them all for my dogs. Your dogs are gone. And sometimes, a little of this. We need to have a talk. (laughs) I take my axe and I smash it. No! (laughs) And check out Podquesters, the show where we tackle ghoulish goblins, fiendish foes, and dangerous drakes. Oh, like the singer? No, the dragon creature. Anyways, Podquesters, Fridays, only on NewRadioMedia.com. At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me, just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a 5-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Walled Lake. We've got the parts you need when you need them. Want to stay informed, entertained, and enlightened? Get connected and stay connected today to New Radio Media. The New Radio Media app is now available for download in the Apple and Google Play Store. Just search for NRM Streams for unlimited access to archived, live, new, exciting, and unique content. Welcome to Geektainment Weekly, all for free. Do it now. Stay connected. And we're back. And as always, at this time, we are joined by Jonas and Goldson of Ethical Imperatives. Jonas, how are you today? I am well, Ribsby. How are you? Did you have a lot of donuts over Hanukkah? I had very few donuts, I'm happy to say. Yeah, that's the only thing I gave into. I said earlier in the show, I actually bought one of those $6.50 donuts. I, I just needed to know, what does a donut taste like that costs $6.50? know where the first donuts were fried? No, I have no idea. In Greece. In Greece. <laughs> Thank you very much. And with that, Jonas and the clock is ticking. Go for it. All right. Well, an article in, this, in, the, in the South China Morning Post this week proposed a new innovation in air travel, separate sections for men and women. According to the author, some men are challenged in their spatial awareness and encroach on their female neighbor's personal space. This turns the armrest into an issue of gender politics. Of course, the real issue is that some people are simply rude, whether consciously or unconsciously, but trying to solve that problem by further dividing people into opposing camps in an already divided society is only going to create worse problems. That's how the brothers and Joseph got into the situation we find them in at the beginning of this week's Torah portion. Joseph and his brothers had very different outlooks on Jewish identity and Jewish law, 
both perspectives had a legitimate basis, but their disagreement devolved into a power struggle which led to mutual suspicion, hatred, and jealousy that literally tore the family apart. The greatness of Jacob's sons can be found in their ability to learn from their mistakes. Judah offers to sacrifice himself for his brother Benjamin. Joseph assures the brothers that he doesn't blame them, but recognizes the hand of God as the force that brought him to Egypt. And after 22 years of mourning, their father is consoled when his family is reunited. When we make the effort not to divide ourselves from one another, but to find common ground, not to blame each other, but to heal our differences, we open up the conduits that bring God's blessing into our lives and help us prevail over all life's challenges. And with that, I wish you a very good Shabbos. Yes, and thank you as always. Have a great Shabbos, and I hope to speak to you next week. God willing. Okay. Very good. Here we go. Moving along as we train new people in. Um, so we're ready, and it's up, right? At least I have the thumb signal that it's up. We're up to our fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. We are up to the Dalid. Um, it's almost an inverted L, but it's the roof really goes over that long stick going up. It is the fourth letter. It has a numerical value of four. And the word I thought of, you know, it was interesting. It was actually Peter Perlman was here when I did this letter way, way, way back. And uh, I didn't have his word that week, but this week I actually do. So for those who remember, um, whatever, about 22 or 23 weeks ago, um, the word is dar. Dar means generation. People like to say dar lidar, from generation to generation. And a lot that's what's happening in this week's Torah portion. We're, doing, we're going from generation, we're, we're finishing the generation of Jacob. We're dealing with the generation of the brothers and of Joseph. All the things the brothers and Joseph do will affect their future generations. That's why we spoke earlier in the show and said that Joseph was playing God because if the brothers are punished now, then the, their children, grandchildren, future generations won't suffer as much. We also discussed that ongoing fight is in future generations. So it's just really a very good word for this week. So he, his joke is better than mine, but here's just a thought for you. Um, you ready for this one, Alana? What did the Atlantic say to the Pacific? You ever heard this joke? No. Me neither. Nothing. It just waved. <laughs> but my point, I think we need to, with the lesson of the joke is that walking past another person without recognition is hurtful. A little wave shows recognition and infuses life. Don't worry, I wrote down those words. I don't speak that way. But um, it reminds me of a story. Uh, when I was about 12 years old, so cold, Sabbath, walking home, and in as a kid, I had very big glasses. I don't know if people remember the glasses 30, 40 years ago, but if you couldn't see very well, like me, I had my contacts, but I was really blind. I had these humongous thick glasses that bounced on top of my head as I walked. So what happened was that as I'm walking down the street, I can't see anything. I mean, I can see trees, cars, I see people. I couldn't recognize people even across the street because my glasses were bouncing. Well, it turns out that my, a cousin of mine was on the other side of the street, and I didn't wave because I couldn't see. And he was very insulted. He was going through some of his own family issues at the time. He was about a year older than me. And uh, his mother calls my mother. I go to his house. And I apologize. But I told my mother, I said, Ma, 
I said, I really can't see. And I was, I, you know, I, I didn't see him. I didn't, I would never ignore him. But, but now when I, when I read this and I thought about it uh, over the last couple of days, it doesn't really matter that I didn't know and I didn't realize I did insult him. That little wave, what does it cost? You're walking down the street. I smile at everybody. They turn their eyes away. They look away. People get a little uncomfortable. So what? You go ahead, you wave, you smile. You know, there are people out there craving, especially if they know you, and you don't realize you know them. Some of us know a lot of people. So you wave, you nod, you smile. You don't must stop and have a conversation with everybody. But as a person, what you really need to do is be a person. Be nice. Be friendly. You have no idea how that smile, which is a different show when I have more time, we'll talk about it at much greater length. But my length is now up on today's show. And as always, I have to thank all our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I couldn't do without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team. Tony is skiing or something. So we have Kelsey, Angel, Alana, who is learning and doing a fantastic job. Thank you, Alana. And Andy even stepped in. And Jess is there. I'm not sure what he's doing. I don't think he knows how to run the board. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next week, I'm Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Tony Radio Media. Until next week, don't forget to think about it.